Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. Praise God. I'm so happy and excited to pray. And I'm look, I'm so glad to get this message out of me. Oh, this is a tough one. We, let's laugh it up right now. Yeah, I'm telling you. Let's laugh it up. Visitors, whew, you picked a Sunday to come today. As always, thank you, Pastor, for this opportunity to uh, preach in your stead. And, and like uh, you said, to preach when your pastor is still in the building is a, a whole nother thing. Because he surely could have been up here. This isn't vacation relief. This isn't him taking a break. This is him saying, brother, uh, I recognize that God has called you into this as well. Uh, and as long as he is my pastor and my shepherd, he said he will uh, facilitate and help grow this gift in me. And so thank you, pastor. I appreciate that. I appreciate my wife always, my good thing, my baby. I tell y'all all the time, y'all don't have to like me. Y'all don't have to congratulate me as long as Karen Ray is on my side. I tell you, I'm going to keep on. I'm going to keep going. And then I'm so blessed to have my daughters in the house and my oldest daughter back on spring break. So Jayla and Hannah are here as well. I know they, you know, it, it comes with the territory. As long as I'm given this opportunity, I'm going to acknowledge you guys. But I'm always so grateful for their prayer, their help, their support in doing this. And then to my Solid Word church family, friends, those watching from home, uh, praise God. Glad to be in the place. Glad to be sharing God's word with you this morning. <laughs> yeah. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, whatever you may use to access the word of God, if you would, please turn to Matthew chapter 7, <clears throat> verses 21 through 23. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, uh, and this is Jesus speaking, and uh, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, but there you will find these words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and Cast out demons in your name and do mighty, mighty, many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father. Oh. truth of your word is heavy. Its power is mighty. God, I pray that in your sovereignty and your providential moving that 
every element of today's service was tailor-made for this message. God, that our hearts have been made tender, that our minds have been opened, that our ears would be attentive, and that our spirits would respond. God, I have wrestled with this and with you these past couple of weeks. As you have shined the light on me, God, I pray that you would not let me mess up this opportunity for your word to shine a light on the hearts of others. Sit me down. Stand up in me. Preach your word through me so that your people will hear it, will receive it, will apply it, and then will be blessed by it. God, I ask that you would do with your word, in your word, through your word, what only you can do, and that is make sure that it does not return to you void, but that it accomplishes every single thing for which you sent it forth to accomplish. And that on the other side, we would look different. Oh, my Lord. That we would be different, my God, for having encountered your word. It is in your son Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> For a lesson aim this morning, my hope, my prayer, is that the words of Christ would wake us up, would sober us up, and would cause us to reflect and ask ourselves this question, does Christ know me? Just a, a little bit of, of by way of intro, I was, we were out and about yesterday and, and um, it, it dawned on me, I was asking uh, Jayla about this story that we like to visit and, and it's a funny story, but Many of you are familiar with uh, a group uh, that was popular in the 90s called Bone Thugs and Harmony. <laughs> even Dr. Cater is even not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dr. Cater said it's the first of the month, yeah. But it's interesting, right, because the, 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 the story that we kind of revisit, and it's such a, it was such a cute and innocent story, is that, is that my daughter shared with us at one point, she said, you know what? <laughs> she said, for the longest, I thought that song was a gospel song. Oh, yeah, we were. <laughs> what? And even, you know, Karen and I were like, what? <laughs> what? Right? And we were talking about this last night, just thinking about it, and it was like, you know, 
what was this? And she's like, yeah. I, and I asked her, I said, Jayla, I said, what was it about the song from Bone Thugs in Harmony that made you think it was a gospel, particularly the crossroads. Meet me at the crossroads so you won't be lonely. Don't act like y'all know. Y'all know that song. And she said, well, it was, it was some of the words in the song. And, you know, I started going through what I care. I was like, you know, I, I miss my Uncle Charles. I, you know, I'm, I'm going through these, these, you know, and I'm going to miss everybody. You know, all that kind of, I'm like, what, what is it? And she got on, on her phone, and, she, and then she started saying, she started reading these words. God bless you, working on a plan to heaven. Follow the Lord all 24, seven days. God is who we praise, even though the devil's all up in my face, but, we keep, but he keeping me safe. And in my place, say grace. And then I thought, well, goodness. I see why. You thought this was a gospel song. But I had to keep pushing at it, Pete, because I said, well, I said, okay, you thought it was a gospel song. I said, but then what was it that made you realize that it wasn't a gospel song? And she said, well, I just listened to the rest. I just listened to the rest of the song. And, you know, I, and, and we laugh about it. We still laugh now. And it's funny because it's, and anytime we hear it come on, we're like, oh, you know, the, the image was Jayla was just getting her praise on, you know. <laughs> With bone thugs and harmony, it was taking her into the upper room. Boy, I tell you, yeah. But even as I was driving in this morning and I was thinking about this sermon, and I've really been wrestling with this because I was like, Lord, I don't have an introduction for this. If, if you could see my notes, you would see there's just a blank piece here for the introduction because I did not know. Like, Lord, what would you have me to say? I wasn't sure what kind of introduction to do, actually. So I don't want it to be too over the top funny. I don't want it to be too sour that people, you know, excuse themselves and like, oh, this is too much. I don't want all this. But, but as I was driving in, he brought back to memory this conversation, just that we had last night. And what he began to, I believe, kind of show me even in this example is that a lot of us are like this song. Catch us at the right time, in the right place, around the right people, and we look like the gospel. But spend a little more time with us. Listen to the rest. Peel back some layers. Actually get and say, well, what did you actually say? They talking so fast. I didn't understand. Oh, my goodness. Is that what? And all of a sudden, you start realizing that this snippet <laughs> that was an indication of what we thought was holiness, righteousness, God-likeness, Christ-likeness discipleship was just a couple of lines in an otherwise worldly song. And so that is the introduction as we move into this, right? As we really begin to think about these words of Jesus in this seventh chapter of Matthew. And I'm going to go through 
We're going to ease into it. We're not jumping right into it. I'm going to give you a little bit of context of what's happening in Matthew so that it sets these verses in a proper place. But then we're going to come back because then we're going to, it's like the click, that last click on the roller coaster. All right, everybody, get ready. Hang on. All I ask (laughs) is that if you leave, just don't make eye contact. Just get up and just walk out. Don't look at me all hurt and disappointed. Just, just turn and go out. No, it's not going to be bad. It's not going to be bad. So let's, let's get into this. Let's get into this. And I don't think we're going to be here too long. <clears throat> Uh-oh. I got it now. I got it. Look, of the four gospel accounts of Jesus in the Bible, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, actually, this is interesting, is the only one that uses ecclesia, the Greek word that we get church. He's the only one that uses that. And, and, and to that end, and because Matthew actually uses that terminology and talks about the church, historically, this book is viewed as being very useful to the church that Jesus is trying to establish and then has established by his death and his resurrection. Now, as a gospel author, Matthew reaches into the Old Testament and he ties Old Testament prophecy, scripture, truth into the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he's ultimately wanting to present Jesus not just as a good teacher, not just as a good man, not just as a good example, but literally as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus is the continuation of the Old Testament story. He's the continuation of Israel's story, and the church is a part of that story as well. Jesus' followers, his disciples. Now, Matthew presents Jesus as actually having kind of a dual mission, twofold. You guys know this. You just probably have never just thought about it like this. First, Jesus is the vehicle by which God forgives sin and heals the damage that it has caused in all of his creation. We get that. We know that. But secondly, Jesus also has come into the world to remake and to refashion the hearts of those who would follow him. Literally, get this. I don't think we think about this. Jesus is literally creating a community of new humans. Think about that. He is is creating a group of folks whose hearts have been changed so that they then can be a community that shows the rest of the world what it looks like when you've encountered Jesus the Christ. (laughs) Matthew says, Jesus has come to take our sins to the cross, but it doesn't stop there. He has also come to work in us to fundamentally change the very core and the very essence of who we are so that in everything we think, in everything we say, in everything we do, we reflect the character of our heavenly Father. And it only makes sense that a God who has created us in his image would desire that we would also reflect his character. I get super excited when I see stuff in my girls that is a reflection of my character. Good stuff. There's some stuff they got and it's like, ugh, 
Anybody who is a parent knows the joy you feel when the one that was created in your image begins to reflect back your image. <laughs> now, if we, with broken, tarnished, inconsistent characters, get excited when we see glimpses of the good part of us, how much more so does the God in heaven who fashioned each and every one of us get excited when we begin to radiate back to him, his character. Man. Further, what we see in Matthew is that his purpose is actually threefold. One is that the Old Testament scriptures point to Jesus as the Messiah and the inaugurator of God's kingdom here on earth. Yeah, see that community of new humans? You, you're just not here just to kind of show off in your neighborhood and be the best person on the block. But what God is actually doing is establishing his kingdom. Do you ever think about that? That God is establishing a kingdom. I know sometimes we don't think about it because when we think about the church, we just think about this, these four walls. Who's here? But God has regenerated, renewed, redeemed people all over the globe on every continent of this world, and they all are little points of his kingdom. And what we are supposed to be doing is taking back territory, going out and being Christ-like in every situation and expanding the boundaries of the kingdom of God. Look, good thing it's not up to us to do it all. We're doing it in the meantime because there is coming a time when the sky will crack and the king of the kingdom will establish. Scripture says he'll have a foot on Mount Zion. Man, don't, let's not get there. Let's go. Oh, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Uh -huh. So he says that the Old Testament scriptures point to Jesus as the Messiah and inaugurate of God's kingdom. He also says that the intent of the law is actually fulfilled in Jesus. The intent of the law is fulfilled in Jesus. Well, what's the intent of the law? To make us feel bad? To make us feel guilty? Well, the law did expose sin to us. I, I wouldn't know I was breaking the speed limit if there wasn't a speed limit. So the law does make me conscious of sin. But the law was given not just to make us conscious of sin, but it was given so that we might would uh, move and be able to be in right relationship with the Father. Jesus comes, and because of who he is, he can fulfill and do what the law was not able to do. Because now, instead of me having to keep the law perfectly, he keeps the law perfectly. And through him, now I have forgiveness and renewal. And then lastly, just to reiterate, Jesus is creating a community of followers who model the attributes of the coming kingdom of God in this present age. Now, with that backdrop, hopefully now, that makes a little bit more sense why in chapters 5 through 7 in the Gospel of Matthew, we find what is commonly called Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, right? In his Sermon on the Mount, and, and Pastor, you all, he did an excellent, excellent series on it about two years ago. You should look it up on, on YouTube. You can find it to revisit and actually walk through the Sermon on the Mount. We're not going to do that here, but we'll hit some real high points of it because in this sermon, Jesus is setting a foundational groundwork for what it means to be a kingdom citizen. 
and a member of this new community. Just at a high level, chapter 5, Jesus spends some time talking about who kingdom citizens actually are. He explains that kingdom citizens are poor in spirit. They are gentle. They are the ones who hunger and thirst after righteousness and have been persecuted in pursuit of that righteousness. They are pure in heart. You know these. These are the Beatitudes. He then transitions and he spends some time talking about what kingdom citizens actually do. They don't let anger linger and consume them. They don't entertain lustful thoughts and desires. They love their enemies, not just their neighbors. They don't practice their righteousness to be noticed by others and to film themselves and post it on social media. They pray and they fast privately. They give generously and they don't worry because they place their trust in God the good, good father who knows what they have need of. But in the middle of chapter 7, Jesus, as he's talking about what kingdom citizens are and what kingdom citizens do and what their behavior looks like and how you can recognize them by their characteristics, he issues a warning regarding false prophets. Those who would pretend and claim to be kingdom citizens, who would identify themselves as disciples of Christ, but deep down on the inside really are not. He says that these false prophets will be identified by their fruit. In other words, by what their lives produce. (laughs) Which then brings us to the text for this morning. And what I've been trying to paint a picture and help us see is that nestled in the context of a sermon on the characteristics of those in the kingdom of God and those who are not in the kingdom of God, Jesus says, look, everyone who calls me Lord isn't a kingdom citizen. But kingdom citizens are those who do the will of my Father. But on the last day, many will present to me the things they did in my name, but I will dismiss them because I didn't know them. So let's walk through now these three verses. And instead of doing what we're usually tempted to do, when we're in church and listening to a sermon, you know how we do. We we begin thinking about who we wish was here. We begin (laughs) thinking about who really needs to hear this message. I tell you, you know, some of you may have even texted somebody, you need to turn on. Get on the Google machine and turn this on. And you know how we do, right? We get to thinking about who is in the kingdom, who isn't in the kingdom, who should be here this, who should hear this, and and how all those other folks who think they know, "Mm, boy, I wish they could hear this. This is right. This is true. Tell them, Elder Wright. Get them. But instead of doing that, I just ask that we allow ourselves to be humble. 
for a few moments this morning. <laughs> Let's ask God to remove the protective barriers, the blockers, right? The, the rationalizations, the justifications, the yeah buts, and the what about isms that we, thank you, brother. <laughs> the what about isms that we usually throw up and hide behind when we encounter some tough teaching that's convicting, right, that, that begins to poke and prod us in some different places, and, and it becomes tough for us to deal with. And instead, <clears throat> what I've been praying for all this week, because I've, look, I can talk about this because this is what I've been doing all this week. I've been putting up the blocks and trying to figure out how this, that, no, no, God, this is, you gave this to give to. I just ask that we would simply ah, let the word of God work. Let it hit you wherever you are. Don't try to sidestep it. Don't try to duck it. Let it hit you wherever you are. And look, th this is, th can, let me just do this real quick. <clears throat> we put up those blocks and we put up those, 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 those excuses and we want to hide and move around because we don't, we don't want to face what maybe it may tell us. But you know what that's like? That's like not going to the doctor because you don't want to hear the bad news. Your condition is what your condition is. Yeah. Praise God that there's an opportunity to hear it and then to do something. So instead of sitting there maybe feeling shamed about it, instead of sitting there thinking I might be embarrassed because I thought this and I'm not. Oh, no, be grateful and thankful that the doctor is in and will see you now. Hey, yeah. And can accurately, rightly diagnose where your heart is. So this is a glory hallelujah opportunity that you're getting a chance, that we're getting a chance to apply God's word to our lives and to stand back and say, where <laughs> do I need to make adjustment? Thank you for your faithfulness, God, that you love me enough to give me new mercies today, to give me an opportunity to respond either rightly to you, better to you, more whatever it is. Praise your name, God. All right, let's jump into this. Verse 21. Let me take some of this water first. Thank you. Verse 21. If you're there, take a look at that. Uh -uh. And there you will see, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The word, but in this verse lets us know immediately right off the bat that what Jesus is doing here is contrasting two groups, specifically one group that says to him, Lord, Lord, right? And another group who does the will of his father who is in heaven. And it's important for us to point out a couple of things as we move through this that maybe aren't immediately apparent just at a first glance reading of the text. First, what we see is that typically when a word is repeated in Scripture, the repetition is meant to emphasize that word, to stress its meaning. 
like when Jesus says on many times, verily, verily, I say unto you. What he's saying is, is that not just, hey, this thing that I'm about to tell you is the truth, but he's telling you this thing that I'm about to tell you is show enough the truth. <laughs> show enough the truth, the truth, the truth, right? So these people that Jesus talks about saying, Lord, Lord, to Jesus are emphatically, vigorously, forcefully, <laughs> passionately calling Jesus their Lord. But we can't stop there because Lord is another one of these church terms that we all are uh, familiar with. We use it so often, but, but we don't always think about what it means. Sometimes we use it, and some of us may think it's just an extension of Jesus' name, Lord Jesus Christ. Huh. And we don't really think that it's actually a title that's communicating and conveying a concept. So this word Lord in the Greek kurios, it means master, it can mean owner, it can mean one who has authority over something or someone. And it is used in reference also, not just to Jesus, but it also is used to represent the name of God as recorded in the Old Testament. So in your Bibles, when you look in the Old Testament and you have L-O-R-D in lower cap, all uh, lower cap, or in all uppercase, sorry, print, what that is, is that's the representation of when it was Yahweh, the, the covenant-keeping God, when they were evoking the name of God that he had communicated to them. Well, Lord, kurios is how, in the Greek, the Old Testament when it was translated. That's the word they used for that. So this word is heavy. This word, right, Lord, it indicates mastership, ownership, authority, rule, reign, over people, places, and things. The word is even used to represent the name of the covenant-keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the everlasting father, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And this is important for us to spend some time here recalibrating ourselves because you and I, I do it, you do it, no shame. We will utter Lord and Lord Jesus as just a general expression. Kids come in and do something, Lord Jesus. Husbands, you're doing something, wife, can, can you come in, Lord? Not me, babe, not me. Other husbands. You see how smoothly I pulled that back? <laughs> But when we do that, think about this. What we're doing is we're lowering the significance of the title. We're lowering the significance of the title and, 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 and something that was intended to indicate a position of power, of authority, of control is now made common because of how we use it. Well, if I use Lord when I stump my toe, then it doesn't mean anything when I say, Lord, Lord. <laughs> and I can already hear some of us. Oh, preacher. 
you're being too hard on us. You're being too holy of and thou. It doesn't take all of that. When I say, Lord Jesus, I don't mean nothing by it. That's exactly the problem. And the issue that's in the text. Because even though these folks come to Jesus, remember, emphatically, vigorously, forcefully calling Jesus Lord, they don't mean anything by it. And how do I know they don't mean anything by it? Charles, you're reading into the scripture. No, I know that they don't mean anything by it because when Jesus contrasts these folks with those who do the will of the Father in heaven, the ones that are crying out, Lord, Lord, don't make it into the kingdom. Jesus is saying, in effect, he's saying, look, there are some people who are emphatically, vigorously, forcefully calling me their master, calling me their owner, calling me their ruler, calling me the one who has authority over them, but they don't act like I'm their master. They don't act like I'm their owner. They don't act like I'm their ruler. They don't act like I've got authority over them because instead of obeying the Father's will, they do what they want to do. Jesus is my Lord, but I'm going to sleep with whoever I want to sleep with. Jesus, uh, you're my Lord, but I'm going to watch whatever I want to watch. Jesus, you're my Lord, but I'm going to spend my money how I want to spend my money. Jesus, you're my Lord, but I'm not going to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Jesus, you're my Lord, but I'm not going to submit to my husband as unto the Lord. Jesus, you're my Lord, but I'm not going to obey my parents and show them honor. Jesus is my Lord, but I'm not going to control my tongue. Jesus is my Lord, but I'm not going to let go of these lustful desires. Jesus is my Lord, but I'm not going to seek his face. I'm not going to sit at his feet and learn of him. You might think, Charles, you're being awful heavy-handed there. But if you look in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I'm not straining to make this connection. This is the connection that Christ himself is making. In other words, Jesus says, time out for all of this lip service. You can keep all of that. I'm looking for some folks that aren't just talking about it, but some folks that are trying to be about it. And let me just interject because so that you, if you're trying to dismiss this, Jesus is not talking about being perfect here. So some of us are saying, well, nobody can be perfect. That's, Charles, you already, your interpretation is wrong because can't nobody do it. Keep the law. No, no. Jesus is not being, talking about being perfect. He's not talking about never messing up. What he is talking about is a genuine desire to do God's will. Even though there may be a storm on the inside to do your will. This is what Paul was talking about in Romans 7 when he said, look, there's two things happening inside of me. I want to do God's will, but there's also this other force inside of me that wants to do something else. And they are constantly wrestling. Jesus is talking about, are you wrestling? Or have you just given over 
to the fleshly desires. He's talking about a genuine belief that God's wisdom is supreme. Even if I don't always understand it, even if it doesn't always feel good, I still land in a place that says, nevertheless, thy will be done. And how ironic is it that folks think that they can get into the kingdom of heaven without submitting to the king of heaven? Y'all wouldn't let me come in your house and act any old kind of way. I'm like, can I talk real? Some of y'all would get bent out of shape if I didn't take my shoes off at the front door. Right? If I just came in, started opening cabinets, my first time there, Sharita. Opening stuff ain't even been opened, Pete. I'm, I'm cracking the seal. No, nobody here would be like, well, go ahead. Elder, right? Well, let me tell you, you, you might be like, go ahead, but after I left, you would turn to whoever and said, he will never be back. <laughs> so why, why am I doing that? Man, it's good to laugh. It lightens it a little bit. But if we, with our old sinful, depraved, sometimey, wishy-washy, all kinds of hypocritical ways still say that when you come in my house, I deserve to be obeyed in my house. How much more so? Don't make me say it. He's a God of everything. Right. And just to say, in my house, my rules. Some of you right now got some kids you can't wait to kick out of your house because they think they can make the rules. But then we want to be that little old obnoxious, arrogant, insolent, think we know everything young person in the house with a grown person with God. Telling him, you don't know. You too old. Stuff is different. They don't say that. No, they don't sing those songs no more. <laughs> Look, this is not a cute little illustration that Jesus has given us either. In case you haven't put all the dots together, this isn't about blessings on your life, how to live your best life now, how to make better decisions versus wrong decisions, whether or not the road you choose will, will lead to life that's easy or it's hard. Make no mistake about it. Entering into the kingdom of heaven is about salvation. This isn't just about you're going to live a blessed life on this side. This is about where you're going to spend eternity. This illustration Jesus is talking about. <laughs> Jesus makes no bones about it. Here he is very clear that some of us in here right now, under the sound of my voice, think we're headed to the kingdom of heaven and we're going to be surprised when Jesus stiff arms us at the gate and tells us that we cannot come in. Look, 
I'm sharing this. This verse, these verses changed my life in my early 20s. Grew up in the church. Know all these songs by heart. Folks used to call me, oh, Charles, you like the 13th disciple. You know all the, all the catechism. You remember catechism in Sunday school? Yeah. I knew it. I was good with it. But I read this verse, and I thought, oh, my goodness. Is this me? Am, is this me? Baptized, taking communion, had a little red Bible with my name and the date stamped in it. 14. But it wasn't until in my 20s I saw this verse and I thought, is this me? And I didn't spend a lot of time trying to determine whether or not I was saved when I was 14. I, I can't do nothing about that. It was more about what are you going to do right now, Charles? Faced with this now. Some, let me tell you why we want to spend some time on that question. Because if I can get a good answer back then, I don't have to do nothing right now. Right? This new challenge that's in front of me, well, wait a minute. If I, let me go back here. And if I, oh, okay, no, I'm good. All right, I'm going to sidestep that and keep on. But that's not what this message is about. That's not what today is about. It's not about trying to go back and rehash. It's about right now. It's about right now. Hmm. This brings me to my very first takeaway. Salvation is more than lip service. One of the greatest misconceptions in the church today is that, is that salvation is determined by whether or not someone prayed the sinner's prayer. And if I'm, if I'm messing with some people, I, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to just tear down everything. I'm just I'm trying to be real and truthful here. That we need to understand that someone repeating a structured prayer after somebody else asking for Jesus to come into their heart is not an indication of whether or not that person recognizes their sin, is broken by their sin, and is crying out to God to change them. If your testimony of salvation peaks at the point you recited the sinner's prayer, and it isn't marked from there by a desire to obey the will of the Father. Again, I'm not talking perfectly. I'm talking like pastor says, consistently. And genuine sorrow, when you don't, when you miss the mark, then you need to really ask yourself, if your salvation is just lip service. Verse 22, Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works? In your name. It's, it's almost as if Jesus is painting a picture of the continuing conversation with these folks, right? 
from verse 22, as they realize that they aren't going to make it into the kingdom of heaven, there's almost this sense of them thinking that Jesus is somehow mistaken or maybe has forgotten all that they've done for the kingdom, and they begin to plead their own case, as it were. (laughs) And they begin to offer up examples of them being good kingdom citizens. Jesus, didn't we prophesy in your name? Jesus, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Jesus, didn't we do mighty, many mighty works in your name? It is if they are rebuting, rebutting rather, Jesus' claim that they were lip service kingdom citizens only. They're going to prove Jesus wrong. You got to come with me. And they weren't carrying out the will of the Father. Jesus, you're mistaken. I I know that you're the king of glory. I know that you're the one presumably letting people into the kingdom of God. Your name is not on the list. But it should be. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe it's under my mama's name. Turn and. Man. Some of us trying to get in there under our mama's name. And it's like they're saying, no, no, Jesus, uh, we aren't just, uh, uh, you know, uh, about uh, talk, but we're about actions. We, we, we out here doing this thing. We in these streets. We out here prophesizing. We casting out demons. We're doing all kinds of mighty works all in the name of Jesus. We're working hard for you, Jesus. And I think this verse speaks so loudly to where a lot of people in the church are today because it has already been established by Jesus that these folks are not doing the will of the Father. It's interesting that when, from, a, from a preaching standpoint, it, I, it's almost Jesus, to me, he, he, he spoiled it. He put the, 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 the big part in the headline of the verse where he says, only those who do the will of my Father are going to get in. It's, it's almost like, man, Jesus, you should have buried that in the bottom so that we could lead up to that and everybody's like, how do we get in? How do we get in? And say, ha-ha, here's how you get in. But then I remember Jesus ain't trying to impress. He's not trying to structure a sermon. I mean, we call it Jesus' sermon. Jesus is teaching. And he says, look, let me, I'm going to tell you the most important thing you need to know right off the bat. Everybody who's calling out, Lord, Lord, ain't going to make it in. Only those who are doing the will of my Father. Now, we can have some other conversation if you want to, but you understand that the rest of the conversation is built off of this first line. This is the crux of the matter right here, right? It's already been established, but they still keep on insisting and offering up their examples of their works, and we do the same thing. We know that we are living in disobedience in an area of our lives, so what we do is we try to compensate for it by being extra busy for the Lord in another area of our lives. Or we gravitate towards religious activities because they don't really require us to crucify our flesh. But they make us feel like we're saved because it's it's ultimately easier to volunteer for VBS than it is to deny the desires of my flesh. 
It's easier for me to sing in the choir than it is to not let the sun go down on my anger. It's easier for me to serve as a greeter than it is to not look upon another with lust in my heart. It's easier for me to pass out evangelism tracts than it is for me to control my thought life. It's easier for me to post the verse of the day on my page than it is to stop putting my browser in incognito so I can go to those other sites. It's easier for me to preach and to teach until I'm blue in the face than it is to walk in a way that is pleasing in God's sight. And this brings me to my second takeaway. And that is that a day is coming when the honesty and the genuineness of our profession of faith will be revealed. When our lives will be tested by the fire. And the problem is that some of us are shoving stuff into God's face that he did not ask for. He didn't ask you to volunteer at VBS. He didn't ask you to sing in the choir until you pass out. He didn't ask you to preach until you lose your voice. Messing with you. Right? But we push that stuff in his face, and then we have the audacity to demand that he take that stuff as an acceptable sacrifice. And then we almost break our arms, patting ourselves on our back, because we think those are high indications of our right relationship with God. And all this while, we're shoving all of this stuff that he did not ask for. In my mind's eye, I see him standing there saying that all I've ever asked for is your obedience. 1 Samuel, verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 22. Saul, the king, goes out and he defeats an army and God says, look, Don't you bring none of that stuff back. You destroy it all. But what does Saul do when they get out there? He says, well, we we beat them. Let's take some of this choicest stuff back. They bring it back, and Samuel sees it, and he's like, Saul, what are you doing? He said, God told you to destroy it all. Don't bring none of that stuff back here. And and the reason why you might be thinking, man, he's tripping, you got to understand that a lot of that stuff was used in pagan worship, pagan practices worshiping other gods. He don't bring none of that stuff back into the the camp of this community of kingdom folk. Right? Saul says, oh, Samuel, chill out. But we did. We know what what God said, but what we decided to do was to keep the choices. Surely, God didn't want this stuff to be destroyed. Look how good it is. Look how valuable it is. Look how much of of worth it is. Samuel looks at him and he says, do you think, it's so good, y'all need to read this. He says, what do you think God desires more? Sacrifice or obedience? He actually goes on to say that to the Lord, obedience is better 
than sacrifice. That should blow your mind because this is a group of people whose whole relationship to God is built on a sacrificial system. And the God that they're sacrificing these bulls, these doves, these ox, these sheep to says, I'd much rather have your obedience. As a matter of fact, the reason why you got to do all these sacrifices is because you're stiff-necked people. And you won't do what I've asked you to do. Verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I hear Jesus really just... (laughs) He just really puts an end to the back and forth, right? I've told you what it takes to get in. You now trying to offer me some stuff that don't matter. So now let me just let me just end the conversation. This is like the bouncer at the door calling security. Man, come come get this dude. Are we arguing? You ain't getting in. Now you got to leave, right? And he bottom lines it for this group. Yes, you are emphatically, vigorously, forcefully calling me Lord. Yes, you've been prophesying, casting out demons, and doing mighty works all in my name. But the truth of the matter is, I never knew you. And that's an interesting response from the one, right? God incarnate, who being God is omniscient. Right? So it lets us know that what Jesus is talking about here is something other than a knowing that is marked by awareness, knowledge, or information, right? Uh, of course, he knows everything about everybody. So what is Jesus communicating here when he says, I never knew you? Well, I think what we have to do is, is look a little bit beyond the English translation to, to the nuance that's in the original Greek language. And it's because in the Greek, right, when we talk about to know... In English, there's about seven words that they use in the Greek for the verb to know. And each one, even though they kind of overlap in their meeting, they have some different aspects that communicate some different things. Specifically here, the Jesus is using gnosko, to know, gnosko. Hmm. And when this is used in the New Testament, it typically indicates that there is a relationship between the one who is knowing and the thing or the one who is being known. So putting it all together, Jesus says, yes, you are emphatically, vigorously, uh, forcefully calling me Lord. And yes, you have been performing and offering up a lot of religious activity all in my name. But the truth of the matter is, listen, I have never been in an approving connection with you. So get out of my sight. That doesn't sound like the meek and lowly Jesus that we want just to accept us no matter what. What we're really saying is, is I want a Jesus, I want a God that lets me treat them any old kind of way I want to and won't withhold any good thing from me. How ridiculous does that sound? We wouldn't accept that from each other. Pete, I don't care how I treat you, 
how I ignore you, how I do go against anything you've said and established that you want for your people, your folks, your home, your places. But don't you withhold any good thing from me. You keep blessing me. When I call you, you show right up. You give me exactly what I want. And maybe, maybe I might praise you a little bit. But don't you drop the ball. And the moment you do, I'm done. I'm out of here. I couldn't serve a God like that. Jesus puts a nice theological bow on the end of these three verses by finishing where he started. When he calls them workers of lawlessness, recall, right, that the original issue with this group is that they were not doing the will of the Father. That they did not do it, they did not obey it, they did not submit to God's commands. In other words, they had established their own law. I like that about Jesus because he, he doesn't move the goalposts. He doesn't even get sidetracked with what they're saying. I think it's interesting that he never rebuts whether they were doing those things in his name or not. It shows that it didn't matter. It shows that that wasn't what was required. You offering up a whole lot of things. You got a lot of credits you took in college, but they ain't in your major. <laughs> All my college folks, yeah, y'all get y'all woke up then. Yeah, you ain't getting this degree. I don't, you, you're working towards a degree, but it's not this one. Because <laughs> this one requires the, this course. Why, why can't we see that things we do in everyday life, and I think, I think that's why it, the Bible says that God uses the simple things to confound the wise, right? We have no, no one in here gets bent out of shape if someone says, well, if you want this degree, here are the courses you need to take. And not only do you have to take these courses, but you have to get a certain grade in them, right? And what do we do? Here's uh, $20,000. I'll, I'll do that. We'll pay them to do that. But when God says, look, I need you to make sure that you keep yourself holy before marriage. Well, God, nobody lives like that. We got all these issues when God says, this is what it means to be a kingdom citizen. You need to take these courses. And oh yeah, you can't move to the next one until you pass this one. And if you think you're just going to flow through, no, you're going to have to open your book and study some. Oh, and you might have to form some study groups. Don't just be by yourself. Come on in this community with me so we can get ready and get prepared. What are you trying to do? Well, I'm trying to graduate and be a kingdom citizen. Well, me too. What track you on? Oh, the grace and mercy track. It's like you're studying awfully hard. Yeah, I want to do well, but I heard the professor grades on a curve, so it's going to be okay. Let's make this personal, if it's not already personal. When we establish our own law, our own truth, when we operate according to our wills and our desires, and then we roll up on Jesus and say, Nah, Jesus, I'm just going to do it my way instead. In the eyes of the king of the kingdom of heaven, 
in the eyes, right, of the one who has his own law, who has his own standards, who has his own way of doing things, we by default become lawbreakers, right? Think back to the home example. There's just no other way to put it. You, you might want to soften it up. You don't want to think it's that bad. But at the end of the day, it's lawlessness. We do not want to submit to what the king has said. And I hear you saying, and I hear some of you protesting, but elder, aren't we no longer under the law? This is what we like to talk about, the new covenant. This, that's the Old Testament stuff. I'm under the new covenant. And, and, and doesn't, you know, all this law-breaking stuff sounds like you're trying to put me back in legalism. <laughs> this is the problem with our Christianity today, because instead of doctrine and theology, we've got these rules and these if-then clauses that we've figured out for ourselves that really make loopholes for us to continue in the sin that we want to do, but they don't align with Scripture at all. Yes, through Christ's death, we have forgiveness of sins. Yes, because of his death on the cross, they are no longer under the curse of the law, but through Christ's resurrection, believers are raised to a new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. This new life now desires to live according to God's precepts. Ding, 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 there it is. It is not just about the cross. It's also about the resurrection. Yes, the cross forgives me of my sin, not so I could just go rack up more and more sin. But it forgives me of my sin. It breaks the curse of the law. So instead of living under the burden of, oh my goodness, if I, don't, if I mess up once, God is going to destroy me. I can now walk and say, you know what? God, I can walk in power and in freedom in your way, knowing that if I get off a little bit, it's all right because Jesus' blood nudges me back on. This takes me to my third and final takeaway, and that is that when it comes to salvation, oh, it really is less about us knowing Christ. And I know that rubs up against what many of us have grown up hearing, and, and I'm not trying to say all that is wrong. What I'm saying is, is that it, <laughs> we've taken that and, and have, have made the determining factor of whether or not we are kingdom citizens about well, do you know something about Jesus? Do you affirm certain things about him? Right? Because that's the question that we always ask. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And we kind of set people up for, well, yes, I do. So I'm okay. I do know that. I do know. Mm -hmm, I believe that, yes. Mm -hmm. But the question really is less about do we know him and it's more about does he know us? Well, what does that mean, Charles? Well, does he know us in an approving way? Is Christ connected to our lives in an approving way? Right? Can, can Christ stamp you and say, yes, this child is mine? Or does he look and say, no, no, that's not one of my citizens. I just, I just told you what my citizens look like. That's why this verse is in this section. 
I just spent almost two chapters worth of sermon material describing to you what kingdom citizens are about, what they look like, how they act, how they respond to other people. So that then when I tell you, nope, you don't get surprised because I've laid out to you what it is, what it looks like, and how we should be. So this brings me to my conclusion. And I think some of us may be thinking, now wait a minute, I thought that we were in a series on discipleship and you talking about being saved and not being saved. <laughs> and I think that's part of the problem because we make a false distinction. We act like that there's actually two levels within this life, this, this believing life. We think that there is salvation and then there's discipleship. And a lot of us think we just gonna, we gonna hang out. Discipleship is for folks like Pastor Costa and for Charles Wright and for the mothers of the church and for the deacons and for the elders. I'm just, I'm, you know, we joke about, well, you know, the gates don't pinch me on my butt. I'm, I'm just going to barely get in. As long as I get in. All this old ignorant stuff. Like there's some sliding scale. Like you, y'all in the ghetto in heaven, all out, out, and out. But that's all right. I'm in heaven. You ain't in the sub. You know, you ain't in the in the sinners. I laugh to keep from crying. This is my conclusion. I'm trying to get through this. But we make a distinction. We make a distinction that the Bible never makes. As though I can just take salvation without the devotion to Christ. There is no such thing. so many of us are walking around believing that our ticket is punched into the kingdom all because one day in the past, I, I, I repeated what my Sunday school teacher said. And look, I'm not knocking. Y'all think Charles thinks we should shut down Sunday school. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that we should be striving towards not some folks who emphatically, forcefully, and passionately cry out, Lord, Lord, but some folks who do the will of the Father. So look, there it is. I know that's a clunky close, but I hope, I'm praying that the Spirit of God is working on someone's heart right now. I'm praying and hoping that somebody is having some serious questions about, am I saved or not? And then look, I'm not, you don't need to tell me. It's not about raise your hand so I can see who you are. That's not, it's not even about that. It's about you right now having a conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ. Asking, do you know me? Because I desire to know you. And I desire to be known of you. I don't want to hear on that day, depart from me. When I thought I was doing stuff that needed to be done. Is God's spirit piercing your heart right now? I pray that it is. And I pray 
Huh. That the evidence of that is not some handshake to me, some clap on the back, but it's changed lives that look like the citizens of the kingdom of God. Not perfect, but consistent. Let's pray. Oh, God. You are so merciful. You are so patient. You have let me, personally, I know, run around for 20-some-odd years, faking and flodging and pretending and dodging, only to put a call on my life. God, it is in that spirit that I come to you now asking that you do the same, that you be the same in this moment right now. God, you know who is yours and who isn't. It's not for me to know. It's not for me to discern. But you know. And I pray, God, that even now you are piercing the very core of their hearts, that you are shining a light on the very inside of their thoughts and their desires and that you are showing them where they stack up next to your word. God, I pray for a couple of different folks in the audience today. First and foremost, if there's anybody here who does not know you at all, who's being exposed to you maybe for the very first time today. I pray, God, that this message will have quickened their spirit and that you would work in that space, drawing them to you, revealing yourself to them, saving their soul, and then sanctifying them as they walk in the newness of the life that you have given them. I pray for the ones who have grown up in church who know all of the church talk and church speak, who before today would have told you for sure, for sure that they know you. But maybe this message is pushing up against some things. God, if it's pushing up against whether they're saved or not, then reveal that to them. If it's pushing up against disobedience that's in their life, then move them to repentance. And then God, I pray for those of us in this place, who have made our election sure, who are known of you, but need that reminder that only what we do for Christ will matter and that we are called to be new creation, that we would endeavor to pursue your face, to seek out your word, to apply it to our lives, to reach for higher levels of righteousness, not to be settling for just what we've achieved and what you've brought us through and brought us over and delivered us from, but that we'd be moving ever forward to the standard that is Jesus Christ. God, I pray that Thank you.
You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week. We remember nothing of what I've said and only of what you've said. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.